0: Thanks for tuning in to Farmer Theologian, a podcast designed to help you build deeply rooted practical theology. Let's get to work. Well, all right, friends, welcome to episode eight of Farmer Theologian. I want to continue to thank you for your Uh, feedback and support for this podcast Um, it has just been a great blessing to me to see things develop to see the audience grow uh, and to get your feedback I want to particularly thank you uh, to those who reached out about the last episode on assurance Uh, that podcast truly was just a a outflow of what God had been working uh, in me and in my understanding through studying for sermons studying for counseling Uh, And I had prayed a great deal that it would be a blessing to the listener, but it really was one of those instances where I just needed to get these uh, truths out of my head and have this outlet to do that. And so I'm glad uh, that it was a blessing to you. And I'm thankful to those of you who reached out to tell me that it was to uh, really tell me how it encouraged you. I pray this episode will also be a great blessing we're going to talk today about the incarnation of course it is christmas season and people are thinking a lot about the birth of jesus and the, the coming of the god man so i just wanted to uh give you some theological truths to think on i know that this is a busy season and that there are many things going on and that that can often uh, lead to us lacking uh, the proper worship and the proper focus in the season and so i pray that this Uh, somewhat brief episode in uh, what we'll talk about these five theological truths about the Incarnation will be a blessing to you and will really just lead you to a time of worship and praise uh, and hopefully evangelism as you are with family and friends this season. So I have for you today, as I mentioned, five theological truths about the Incarnation that will hopefully lead you to worship. First, the Incarnation is miraculous the incarnation is miraculous. We see in Matthew chapter 118 chapter 1 verse 18 and I'm going to read from the Legacy Standard Bible as or as one dear saint from our church calls it the legit standard bible. It says there in Matthew 1 verse 18 now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the holy spirit. This verse is somewhat of a transition as the the Gospel of Matthew opens with a genealogy to the events of the birth of Jesus. But even though it is a transition verse, it has this powerful, powerful theological truth in it that the Incarnation was a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle. There is no scientific explanation for it. There is no biological explanation. In fact, this verse uh, excludes a biological explanation. It says, before they had come together, before they had had relations, there is no chance that the incarnation could be a product of simple biology, but rather it is a work of the Holy Spirit. The woman, the virgin, was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is an essential truth to our understanding of the Incarnation. It is not a product of man, it is not a product of science, it is not a product of biology. It is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus came to this earth. We should let this truth lead us to worship, to praise, and to rightly defend this essential truth that the Incarnation is miraculous second theological truth i want to encourage you with today is that the incarnation fulfills prophecy we also see this in Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 it says now this now all this took place in order to fulfill or in order that what was spoken by the lord through the prophets would be fulfilled and then he goes on to quote from Isaiah 7:14 showing us that the virgin would be with child and this is just one of many prophecies fulfilled by jesus in uh, his birth and young childhood and all throughout his life. Again, this one is a fulfillment of Isaiah seven fourteen. In Micah five two, we see that prophecy predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. In Jeremiah thirty one verse fifteen, we see that a uh, that prophecy predicted Herod's atrocious response in the killing of all the children and the weeping and wailing that would come as a result of that. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, we have prophecy that predicts the sojourn of Jesus and his family in Egypt following those atrocious actions by Herod. We also see multiple prophecies that point to him being the branch or the root of Jesse, which, of course, has the same root word as uh, Nazarite, which is, again, fulfilled in his Uh, becoming a Nazarene through that following sojourn there. And of course, Jesus fulfilled numerous prophecies throughout his life, ministry, death and resurrection. Many, many things that Jesus did from opening the eyes of the blind, causing the lame to walk, uh, touching the lepers, preaching the word. All of these things are a fulfillment of prophecy. The incarnation, Jesus coming to this earth, is important because it fulfills so much prophecy. In fact, if you look online, you will see statistical analysis that just really proves it is utterly impossible for one man to fulfill so many predictions precisely. And friends, that proves that it is possible only because he is the God-man. Possible only because this is God fulfilling his word. And friends, that shows us, that gives us incredible overwhelming proof to the veracity of prophecy and really to all of god's word if we just look at the incarnation and the number of prophecies fulfilled in the incarnation it gives us overwhelming proof that the word of god is true and reliable so again this great truth should lead us to worship the incarnation fulfills prophecy next third theological truth I want to encourage you with today, and hopefully that will lead you to worship, is that the Incarnation fulfills God's promises of redemption and the covenants. Friends, there are so many texts that we could look at with this. I'm going to summarize a few for you today, but let me encourage you to look through, to take some time to to look at the promises of redemption in Scripture, and to see how Jesus fulfills all of them in His coming to earth, living a perfect, sinless life, dying on our behalf— and raising again from the dead first we see in genesis three fifteen, right as sin enters the world as god is pronouncing his curse upon the serpent he promises that a seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent friends this truth this promise of redemption is fulfilled in jesus christ coming to this earth living a perfect life dying on our behalf and raising again from the dead In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, we see what is called the Abrahamic covenant. And in it, it promises that a descendant of Abraham will come through whom the whole earth will be blessed. Friends, this is true of Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy 18, we see prophesied a prophet that would come in the likeness of Moses who would deliver his people. This, too, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Second Samuel chapter 7, we have the Davidic covenant which promises that one in the line of David will reign eternally. This, too, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Job calls out this great truth, this great statement of faith that he knows his Redeemer lives and that he will see him. This promise of faith is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, of course, Jeremiah 31 tells us of the new covenant. All of which, all the promises of which are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ, through his incarnation, fulfills every one of God's promises of redemption. Fulfills every one of the covenants that God made with his people. This is why we should worship. This is why the incarnation is so important to us and should drive us to worship. Because it fulfills all of God's promises of redemption and the covenants. The fourth theological truth that I pray will lead you to worship in this season is that the Incarnation demonstrates Christ's humility and his obedience. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, this great passage about Jesus' humility. Look with me at it there. It's Genesis, or, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. And notice it starts with a command for us to imitate. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptying himself by taking on the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Here we see this amazing truth that Jesus humbled himself. He demonstrated his obedience through taking on the form of a man and being obedient even to the point of death on a cross. This summarizes how the incarnation is a great display of the humility and obedience of Christ. And what is the outcome of that? Picking it up in verse 9, it says, Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father because he was humble, because he came, took on flesh, taking on a an act of humility that we cannot even fathom the depths of. He who was very God did not did not consider that equality with God to be something to be tightly held on to and not let go of, but rather humbled himself by taking on the form of a human being, the form of a bondservant, and was obedient to the point of death. And because of that, God has exalted him above everyone. God has given him the name Lord, which one day every created being will confess. Friends, we celebrate and worship God in response to this truth of the Incarnation. We defend these truths of the Incarnation because it shows us this great act of humility and obedience of our Lord. Then all of these really put together, all of these truths that the Incarnation was miraculous, that it is the fulfillment of prophecy, that it is a fulfillment of the redemption promises of God, that it does display Christ's humility and perfect obedience. These truths lead us to this fifth truth that I want to encourage you with today, and that is that the incarnation is essential to the gospel. The incarnation is essential to the gospel. If Jesus is not truly God, if he is not truly God, and truly man, He is not qualified to serve as our sufficient substitute. If He is not God, then He is not sinless, because everything He said about Himself would be a lie. And if He is not the sinless Son of God, if He is not truly God and truly man, if He is not the incarnate Son of God, then there is no hope, because we have no Savior. So, friends, again, we celebrate and we defend the truths of the incarnation because it is essential to the hope that we have in the gospel. So, friends, as you think on these truths this Christmas season, and again, I know that it's a busy season, but I pray that this episode will help you to take some time to think on the rich theology that we celebrate in this season. I pray that these truths bless you. I pray that they will inform your worship this week. And I pray that they will encourage you to tell others, whether it be the coworker at that work Christmas party or that lost family member that comes over a few times a year or your loved ones, your children as you open presents. I pray that this would encourage you to tell others about this essential truth that Jesus is the God-man and the only sufficient Savior. And I pray that you will have a truly Merry Christmas as you think on these truths. Friend, thank you for tuning in to episode eight of Farmer Theologian. I pray you have a very Merry Christmas. Tune in next time. I'm going to take off a week, so we will not be back until the new year, uh, but continue to tune in for Farmer Theologian as we continue to build practical theology deeply rooted in Scripture.